So number 445 in the hymnal. <clears throat> 445. Sue, we could probably pick this up a little bit. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all our souls' diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. No friend like him is so high and holy. No, not one. No, not one. And yet no friend is so meek and lowly. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. There's not an hour that he is not near us. No, not one. No, not one. No night so dark. His love can cheer us. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Did ever saint find this friend forsaken? He would not take him. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Was there a gift like a Savior Can y'all stand up again with me? We're going to do On the Authority. And you can't stand on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ when you're sitting down. we got to stand up. Y'all sing with me. What do y'all think about this? Are you ready to praise the Lord? Huh? Let me hear an amen from the Lord's people. Amen. Y'all sing this with me. So many years I've cried because my soul denied that he would save a wretch like me. 
so full of gloom and dread that I hung my head. I wouldn't claim the victory, but then one day his love, like a winged dove, settled down upon my life, and I realized he had authorized my ticket to paradise on the authority of the holy word i rise up and take my stand i'm a blood-bought child of the living god who is the great i am i'm an heir to all that heaven holds and no prince to that. Isn't that good news for the Lord's people? Well, it's a mystery how He came to me, why He would choose me for His own, why He pulled me out of the lake of doubt and set me right beside His throne, why He guarantees with a sealed decree my inheritance by right I'm his favorite child and that makes me smile I'm the center of his delight on the authority of the holy word I rise up and take my stand I'm a blood-bought child of the living God who is the great I am take away my royal crown give it on his authority sing that again on the authority of the holy word i rise up and take my stand i'm a blood-bought child of the living god who is the great i am i'm an heir to Take away my royal crown, give it on his authority. Yes, I'm an heir to all that heaven holds, and no principality can ever take away. Okay, well, Brother Bill, you want them sitting or standing still? We'll stand. Can y'all stand up for a little while longer? Well, you're standing up, so we might as well let you stand up here. They won't have this up on the board, so you're going to have to listen to me. Maybe I'll stand over here, these chords. How many of you remember this? All right, hold on. Let's, uh, let's slow it down. Glory, glory, hallelujah, since I lay my burden down. 
since I lay my burden down. One more time. Glory, glory, hallelujah, since I lay my burden down. Glory, glory, hallelujah, since I lay my I feel better, so much better. Ready? I feel better, so much better since I lay my burden down. I feel better, so much better since I lay my burden down. Glory, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah since I lay. I lay my burden down Glory, glory Hallelujah Since I lay my burden I feel better, ready? I feel better So much better Since I lay my burden down I feel better so much better since I lay my burden down. Little, little. Praise the Lord, oh, thank you, Jesus, since I lay my burden down. Praise the Lord, oh, thank you, Jesus, since I lay my burden down one more time glory glory hallelujah since i lay my burden down glory glory hallelujah since i lay my burden down since i lay my have you heard that song? Okay, good. All right, I just want to make sure that I wasn't singing something in a foreign tongue that you didn't understand. Open your Bibles while you're standing to Genesis chapter 41. and we say this for the sake of the visitors. We don't like to open God's Word without appealing to Him. And so we do that by means of a, a song petitioning Him to come and bless us today. Father, I stretch my I know if I 
are a pretty reserved congregation here. For those of you who know something about us, have been around for years. Maybe, except for some of you, while we're worshiping, most folks here don't raise their hands, and that's all right. If you feel, I have always said, don't look at somebody else and say, if that's what it is to be spiritual, I'll do what they're doing. No, you should be yourself. Some people have reserved personalities. Others are more exuberant and express themselves in other ways. But what I would do when we sing that song, if you have difficulty, just remind yourself that if you were sinking, as the old hymn goes, standing on the sinking sand, and you were crying out to the Lord to save you, you'd probably raise your hands, wouldn't you? And that's exactly where we are by nature. And if he doesn't save us, we're doomed. I want to challenge you again this morning before we get into the Word of God to invite at least one person this coming week. Make that a ministry. Invite one person, if you have to call them, make a little covenant with the Lord. I'm going to invite at least one person a week. Do that. I believe the Lord will bless that. He'll bless your efforts. You know, Jeremiah preached for 40 years. He didn't have one convert in 40 years. But he was faithful. And they knew when it was all over, they knew that the Lord had sent a man to them to teach them the Word of God. Genesis chapter 41, verse 1, it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say praise the Lord, and you may be seated. Today the theme, the sub-theme of this 39th uh, study of Joseph, on the life of Joseph, is the patience of Joseph. The patience of Joseph. There are many, many lessons in this 41st chapter of Genesis. There's so much fruit in this chapter, we could easily spend a year harvesting it just in this, in this chapter. Joseph, as I'm going to point out to you several times today, was a patient man. He had been waiting 11 years, and now he must wait two more Four years, that's what the verse says that we just read. It came to pass at the end of two full years. It says it that way because it's emphasizing just how long Joseph had to wait. When he was 17 years old, his brothers betrayed him and sold him because they were envious of him, jealous of him. And from the time they sold him until the time that he was thrown in prison was 11 years, 11 years. Now it says here, at the end of two full years, so you have two more years, and it's been 13 years old, 13 years rather, since he was 17, since all of these things have happened to him. He is now, if you look in chapter 41, and I hope you have your Bibles open, in chapter 41, if you look in the 46th verse, 
the 46th verse, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He's been waiting for his freedom since he's been 17 years old. Patience is a virtue that is not normally possessed by men and not by all women, especially in today's world. We have so many distractions today, and those distractions make us impatient. Computers, cell phones, the Internet make it possible to have instant information. And these are all distractions. For example, if you are impatient while waiting on a microwave, you might need to see a doctor. You might have a problem. Every day we hear of some case of road rage, most of which is the result of the lack of patience. And I can tell you, because I've lived long enough to know by experience that whether you like it or not, you will at some time, at certain times, one way or the other, you will learn the lesson of patience. Jesus said in the parable of the sower and the four seeds in Luke's Gospel chapter 8 that the seed which fell on good ground represents the true believer, they which in an honest and good heart, he says, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Speaking of those who will be persecuted because of their faith in Christ, Jesus said in Luke 21, 19, in your patience you will possess your souls. Paul told the Christians in Rome, tribulation works patience. Patience works experience, and experience works hope. And again in Romans 8.25, he told the saints at Rome, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Biblical patience, however, does not simply mean to wait or to wait without anxiety. The Greek term that is often used in the New Testament, upomene, that term, I looked it up, and this is the definition of it. It is the characteristic, the patient Christian, the patient believer, that's the characteristic of a person who is not swerved from his or her deliberate purpose and loyalty and piety, even by trials and sufferings. If you get knocked down, you get up. If you're pushed over here, you come back. You don't let the devil, you don't let the world, you don't let friends, you don't let family keep you away from the deliberate purpose and loyalty that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Patience for Christians means primarily, and I hope to show you this in a moment, primarily two things. One, waiting for the Lord to come. It's been over 2,000 years and we're still saying Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And number two, 
waiting for his will to be done. So let me say that again. For Christians, patience means waiting for the Lord to come and waiting for his will to be done. Waiting on the Lord does not mean doing nothing. Deuteronomy 29, 29 divides all revelation into two categories, those things that are revealed and those things that are secret. The things that are revealed belong to us. We have 66 books of revelation here concerning the will, the Word of God, reveals the will of God to the people of God. So we must read the Word, study the Word, hear the Word, Meditate on the Word, pray for light concerning the Word. In short, the will of God revealed in the Word of God is for us to learn and to do. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn about me and learn from me. So we don't just uh, set aside and wait on the Lord to come. We learn, we work, we serve, we do His will as we know His will while we wait for Him to come. Now, Joseph is a great example of someone waiting on the will of God. I have referred to Psalm 105 a couple of times in this series of studies, and I'm not going to have you turn over there now in the interest of time. And if you went to Psalm 105, you will find a word about Joseph, and you'll find that Joseph was tested and tried. Now listen to me. To be tested and tried doesn't mean the Lord doesn't know what's in your heart. It means this. It means you are proven. You are proven not only to yourself, but to others as a testimony. When engineers make a bridge, they give it a test before they let anyone cross over it. The test is not to see if the bridge will hold the weight. The test is to show that the bridge will hold the weight. Joseph has been tested, that is proven. We can look at him from the time he was 17 when we get a glimpse into his life, and now he's 30 years old, and nothing changes him in his deliberate purpose to serve the Lord, to wait on the Lord. He's been waiting on the Lord now for 13 years, for 11, and then two more years here in prison for the Lord to give Pharaoh a dream. 13 years, he's a patient man. A patient man. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. And that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. Matthew chapter 25. Peter warns us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that there will come in the last days scoffers, people who will make fun of you if you're a Christian. They will ridicule you. They will tell you that this stuff of being a Christian is for little children and for older people. It doesn't have anything to do with reality. They will scoff. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? But since the fathers fell asleep, in other words, since great granddaddy and granddaddy and granddaddy before that, all things continue as they were from the creation of the world. Nothing has changed. 
and they're going to ridicule you. They're going to scoff you. I don't know if many are ready for that. But you see, almost every child of God, now hear me, almost every child of God will be tested by life. You might get sick. You might get a disease. You might have family who betray you. You might have friends who don't understand what it is that you are doing as you trust in the Lord and try to serve the Lord to the best of your ability. And many times, folks will fall away. They'll become cool. They'll say, well, I just don't like this price that I have to pay, and I'm not going to pay it. I remind you of when Jesus came uh, to the grave of Lazarus, and Lazarus had been dead for four days. And you remember what happened? The Lord went to the grave and resurrected Lazarus from the grave. Okay, now Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And there's a story about Jesus being in the house of Mary and Martha. And Scripture says that when he got there, Martha said, oh my goodness, we've got to, we got to set the table. We've got to get the utensils ready. We've got, we got to sweep. We've got to make sure everything's perfect and straight because Jesus is coming to visit us. And what did, what did Mary do? It says Mary sat at his feet. And after a few minutes passed, Martha came in and said, Lord, get Mary to help me. I need some help. And Lord said, Mary has chosen the good part, and it shall not be taken from her. It is better, it is better to sit at the feet of Christ than to be busy with many things. It's better to learn of him and from him. The kingdom of heaven is spoken of here in Matthew chapter 25. I'd like for you to look at this chapter. I'm going to be reading. I'll say to the fellows up in the control booth, if they want to put one verse at a time up on the board, if they can, that'll be fine. And just leave that verse up there until we move to another verse. The people on the internet won't see these verses, but you people who are here will. And at least you'll be looking at the same translation that I'm using. I refer to other translations. I look at it and try to translate it myself uh, as much as I can with the help of Greek scholars and Hebrew scholars. But I'm going to be using the version that I grew up on, which is the old King James Version. King James Version has some antiquated words. It has some words that are out of date. And I usually try to translate those for you and render those uh, to your understanding. But if you'll notice in Matthew chapter 25, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. The kingdom of heaven here is the state of things under the gospel. This is not referring to the kingdom of heaven there. You'll see that. This is the kingdom of heaven here. Listen, wherever the king is, that's where his kingdom is. If the king comes to you, his kingdom is established in you. 
Once the disciples said, Jesus, when is the kingdom coming? How do we see it? He said, behold, the kingdom is within you. If the king is in you, then his rule of sphere, his sphere of rule, his kingship is established in your soul. And the kingdom is within you. So this kingdom of heaven here is the state of things under the gospel. The bridegroom, obviously, is the Lord. You can read Psalm 45, and you can read Solomon's song, and you can see other passages that say that Jesus is the bridegroom. Believers are now betrothed or betrothed to Christ. A betrothal was like when Joseph and Mary, Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says that she was betrothed to Joseph. And I won't tell you the whole story about all of that, but there was a little ceremony attached to it when a man and a woman determined that they would be married. They had a little ceremony in the father's house. And uh, the uh, bride, uh, the espoused couple, would have a cup of wine along with the guest. And that was like a pledge to be married. And they were considered pledged to each other. So if any of them went with somebody else, that was considered an adulterous thing, a fornicating thing. Believers are now espoused or betrothed to Christ. The solemnizing of the marriage of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his bride, the church, the solemnizing of that marriage awaits the great day when the bride of the Lamb has made herself ready. If you read Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 9, you'll find these words. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's Revelations 19, 7 and 9. Now back to your Bibles. It says here that there were ten virgins. Verse 1. There were ten virgins. These are people who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The bridegroom, the way that they would do the Jewish wedding in olden days, the bridegroom would come late at night, attended by friends, to the house of the bride, where she waited expectantly with her bridesmaids. And when the bridegroom was, was uh, identified that he was coming with his friends, these would go out to meet the bridegroom with their lamps to attend him into the house. And they would have ceremony, and they would have joy, and they would have the wedding. Those who follow the Lamb are said to be virgins, according to the Scripture. Jesus has said to us about ten virgins. Now, the Jews hardly did anything unless they had at least 10 people present. 
they usually had at least 10 people, and usually they had 10 virgins present for a ceremony of circumcision, to form a synagogue, to keep the Passover, or to contract a marriage. When Boaz, you read about this in the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 2, when Boaz married Ruth, he had 10 witnesses. So these virgins represent those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This virginity is to point to purity and to beauty. Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The office of these virgins here is to meet the bridegroom. They will wait upon him when he appears, but until then, they are to wait for him with patience. Now, as Christians, we are to serve the Lord, we are to wait upon Christ, and we are to wait for Christ. Christ our Lord said in John 12, 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. In other words, to follow Christ is to serve him. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Our business is to serve the Lord. And we serve the Lord by holding up the name and of Jesus as Messiah and praising him both publicly and privately. We are to look for his coming. We are to anticipate it, expect it, and long for it. We are to be, while we're in this world, lights. I know it's difficult sometimes to witness to those in your family, those your colleagues at work, your children, your parents, other people, but that's what we're to be doing. We're to be lights in a world of darkness. Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Now, of these ten virgins, we are told in verse 2, verse 2, five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Five were wise and five were foolish. Let me translate that for you. Some are ready for the bridegroom to come and some are not ready. Sincere Christians, dedicated Christians, true Christians, genuine Christians are the wise, but the hypocrites are the foolish. Truth produces wisdom, and lack of truth produces foolishness. Isn't it foolish, when you think about it, to neglect your soul and eternity? Is it, it foolish to fail to prepare for eternity and for the coming of the bridegroom, for the coming of Christ? 
Now notice in verse 3. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. The foolish had lamps, but no oil in them. They didn't add any oil to them. They had some oil, enough to turn them on, but not anything to last for any period of time. They had just enough oil to make their lamps burn for the present, just enough to live in this world, to make a profession of faith before this world, but they didn't have enough oil if the bridegroom tarried, if the bridegroom didn't come when they expected him. They had a lamp of profession. This lamp could represent life. It could represent life. It could represent other things, which I'll tell you about in just a moment. But they did not have enough oil to take them through all the trials while waiting for the bridegroom. In short, they had a show of religion, but they had no real life. Now the wise virgins, verse 4. The wise virgins took oil in their vessels with their lamps. They had lamps with oil in them. I believe the heart is the vessel, and I believe the oil is the grace of God. Now you say, Brother Sass, wait a minute now. Those, those, uh, those foolish virgins, they had... They had some oil in their lamp. Yes, they do. Listen to me now. Are you listening? (laughs) If you're alive today and out of hell, it's because of the grace of God. The old theologians used to talk about what we call common grace and efficacious grace. Common grace is the grace of God, the goodness of God upon all human beings, upon all things. Men live by the grace of God. They live the lives they live by the grace of God. They have enough oil in their lamps for this life and for this world. But if the Lord tarries, if the Lord tarries, they're going to find that they don't have enough oil. They don't have that efficacious grace. You say, what is efficacious grace? Well, this generation doesn't know much about these illustrations, but the generation that I grew up in did. I used to tell the story of old pastor E.W. Johnson. He's He's gone to be with the Lord now many years ago. Brother Johnson said when he was a little boy, he and his brothers would be wrestling in the room of the house, and back in those days, the houses weren't like they are today. Everybody didn't have a castle. It was a small house. And he said that, that we, I'd be wrestling with my brothers, and my dad would be trying to do something like read the newspaper. And uh, while he was reading, he would just say, boys. And he said, we'll just keep wrestling. He'd say, boys. And we'd just keep playing and paying attention. And he'd say, Boys. He said, that was the efficacious call. That was the efficacious call. Or when your mother uses all of your name. He didn't say, James, come here. She says, James Aaron Smith Johnson. You know you're in trouble. 
An efficacious call is a call that comes from heaven. That's a call that gets the job done. That's the call that you cannot resist. It was called the irresistible cause. You mean God calls us and we can't resist? Yes, that's what I mean. But I mean also that what he does is he breaks down your resistance by his grace and by his love. It's the kind of thing that a young lady, the kind of a spell that a young woman cast upon this other boyfriend, this boyfriend of hers, who just, you can't get his attention, you can't get him to think about anything, you can't get him to do anything, because why? He's enthralled with her. And as I told you, Years ago, an illustration of the two women talking, and the young man came up with his girlfriend, and he was so courteous, and he spoke so courteously to his mother's friend, and when he left, the woman said to the boy's mother, boy, I wish I could get my son to act like that. And the mother of the boy said, yes, that young lady did in six months what I couldn't do in 16 years. That's efficacious grace. Efficacious grace is when God gets involved. I used to say, if today all you hear is my voice, you'll leave just like you came in. But if in my voice you hear the voice of God, you will never be the same. We need the power of God's Spirit today. We are lacking it. We need to really get into the Word, not just these little sermonettes to Christianettes. We need to get into God's Word, and we're going to try to do that. We try to do that here at Grace Church. We are one of these virgins here. I believe that we're like lamps whose light of life is fed by the grace of God. Whether you're just under common grace or whether you're under common grace and efficacious grace. But as Christians, we are to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. We are to be ready, we are to be waiting if the bridegroom tarries. That is, we are to persevere. Now, to persevere means this. It means we are in need of patience. In patience. Joseph is a patient man. Our Lord Jesus Christ was a patient man. All right, verse 5. Verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried, they all, both the wise and the foolish, slumbered and slept. Many have imagined that the day of the Lord is at hand, but we've been waiting over 2,000 years and still he has not come. And so they say, why would he tarry? Well, there are lots of reasons why the Lord would tarry, but... You know, I could ask the same question. Why didn't the Lord send Jesus a thousand years before he did? Because there were certain things that he wanted to do before he sent his son. 
Why would he tarry with his second coming? Number one, all the elect must be saved. When the Lord saves the last person he's going to save, there's no reason for a delayed return. Number two, all men must be without excuse. There's no excuse. Men do not die without having some witness. Number three, the great long-suffering of God must be manifested. Number four, the patience of the saints must be manifested. Why is he taking his time with Joseph? Our passage says two full years. Joseph told that guy what his dream meant and said, hey, speak a word to the Pharaoh for me. When he got out of jail, he forgot all about Joseph. Verse 23 of the preceding chapter says he forgot all about him. Well, the Lord could have given Pharaoh a dream the next day after that guy got out of jail. But he didn't. It was two full years later. Two years. You spend two years after having already spent 11 and things going from bad to worse. And you tell me that you wouldn't have some questions and some doubts and say, what in the world is going on here? Maybe, I, I need, maybe I'm worshiping the wrong God. What's going on? No, you see, we are to glorify the Lord regardless of our circumstances. We are to trust Him regardless of what is going on in our lives, what is going on in this world. Those in the first century, those like the apostles, they expected the Lord to come when they were there. But now it's been over 2,000 years and we're seeing the effects of that. Because he seems to tarry, many have grown careless and many have grown cold. The Lord said in Matthew chapter 24 that lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. Read it. The love of many. You won't be able to find people who really want to worship the Lord, who really want to hear the word of God. That day may be upon us here in this country. I think we're seeing the beginning of the end of the United States. We celebrated our 200th anniversary in 1976. 1976. 200 years. Bicentennial. But because the Lord seems to be tarrying, Many are growing careless. Many are growing cold. Notice it says here that they all slumbered and slept. Well, I looked up those words. And that word for slumbered is nustadzo. And that refers to the wise ones. And it means to nod off. <laughs> Doesn't mean going to deep sleep. It means to nod off. They get tired of waiting and they kind of nod. And then they shake themselves and they wake back up. But the word slept there, katyudo, means to be indifferent. It's in the imperfect tense, which means that it's a continual, repeated action. They slept and they kept on sleeping. The wise sometimes nod off. This is to show us that even though we may deem ourselves to be among the wise, we still are in need of the sovereign grace of God. 
or we'll fall into a deep sleep. The foolish slept while the wise slumbered. The best of men and women are at fault. But notice, the wise kept their lamps burning. Verse 4, the wise took oil in their vessels and their lamps. Verse 5, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. So the wise, the wise kept their lamps burning, but began to slumber. I think of Solomon. Solomon began well, but it ended badly. What caused the problem with Solomon? His wives. What caused the problem with Adam in the Garden of Eden? His wife. He blamed God, but he wanted to please his wife. He took sides with his wife against God. David loved the Lord, but he fell because of his flesh. Peter loved the Lord, but he didn't have the courage to own him in a time of trial. Now notice verse 6. Verse 6. At midnight there was a cry made. At midnight, not at four in the afternoon when these weddings take place. At midnight, a cry was made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. The bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. You know, we waited thousands of years for his first coming. And many fell away. And many will grow weary awaiting his second coming. Remember that passage in 2 Peter 3. Where is the promise of his coming? What kind of signs are we seeing that Jesus is coming? That's what we're beginning to hear in this world. They said the bridegroom cometh. When? At midnight. (laughs) At midnight. You know when the death angel came to Egypt to smite all the firstborn? At midnight. You know, when God said to the rich man who lost his soul, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. Most people are asleep at midnight. Now, that is the least expected time for a visitor. A visitor tonight at midnight. You got a visitor out there in the front door. At midnight? Somebody's coming to see me at midnight? That's when the Lord said, at midnight, the cry was made. The bridegroom cometh. So you can see how that time is an element of surprise. An element when people do not expect it. Most people asleep at midnight. Not expecting a visitor at Midnight. That tells us that we ought to be ready at all times. Who knows when death may come? Then he says in verse 6, verse 6, be ready. Be ready. Go out to meet him. Now notice, his second coming will be with a cry, an announcement. Everybody that has ears to hear will hear it. But when he came the first time, it wasn't with an announcement. There was no cry made. 
He was in the world, and the world knew him not. There were a few shepherds. There were a few wise men, quietly, who kept in and acknowledged the long fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah. But the world in general went about their business like they always did. That's what's happening now. That's what's happening now. When it says as it was in the days of Noah, it doesn't just mean that they were all rebellious. They were. But it means they were going about their business as they always did. And they came, he will come with a cry. Every eye will see him, Revelation chapter 6. And the word of the angelic force will go forth, Arise ye dead, and come to judgment. Let me read this to you. Revelation 6, beginning in verse 15. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now when that announcement went forth, what happened? Verse 7. Verse 7. They arose and they trimmed their lamps. Then all those virgins arose, the wise and the foolish, and they trimmed their lamps. And this speaks to us, us of their trimming their lamps, speaks to us of preparation to meet the bridegroom. All of them trimmed their lamps. Even the wise, even the wise had work to do. The word is prepare to meet him. Trim your lamps. I want you to turn for just a second. They'll keep that verse up on the board, but turn to back one page in your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and I think it's around verse 42, verse 42, Matthew 24, watch therefore you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the good man, the good man of the house had known in what watch, in what watch, now the Jewish Night and day was broken up into four watches. Six at night to nine, nine to twelve, twelve to three, three to six. Those are the four watches. If the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and he would not have allowed or suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, verse 44 be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. That's a, that's a frightening verse. We can't say we hadn't been warned. I'll tell you this. The best way to live and the best way to die is to always be serving the Lord and anticipating is coming. Now it says in this verse 7 that the foolish 
could do nothing because they weren't prepared. Back to chapter 25. Chapter 25. Then those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish, verse 8, said to the wise, Give us of your oil, our lamps are gone out. The foolish could do nothing because they were not prepared. The foolish virgins manifest a vain confidence by not making sure they were ready in advance. The Bible says that whatever we are at death is what we will be for eternity. Here's what I mean by that. Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 3. If the tree falls toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall be. Whatever the state of our souls is at death, it will remain that way for eternity. If we're called out of this world, joined to Christ by grace through faith, we'll be with him throughout eternity. If we're called out of this world and we don't know him and we're not joined to him, we're going to be that way from all eternity. It is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. There can be no change after death. There is no, my friends, listen to me, there's no purgatory. All the prayers to Mary and to the saints and all the giving of money and all of the doing of good works will not change the state of loved ones once they are gone. Their lamps, their profession of being Christians. Literally, it says here, the King James says, our, our, our lamps are gone out. Literally, I check this out, our lamps are going out. Our lamps are going out. At the coming of the bridegroom, their profession withered. Their hope failed. Their comfort fled away because they were caught by surprise in unbelief. A fearful warning is given to us in Second Peter 2 of people who have made professions of faith and then they kind of melt away. Listen to this. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled and overcome. Overcome is the key word. Because all of us have sinned since we've come to know the Lord. But overcome, the latter end with them is worse than the beginning. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they've known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb that says the dog has turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed has returned to the mire. People go back, they fall away, and in their spirits, they're right back where they were after the Lord has given them so many years of life and blessed them. Again, from Job chapter 27, Job asked this question, What is the hope of the hypocrite, though he has gained, when God takes away his soul? Maybe he gains the applause of men. Maybe he gains praise by the world. Maybe he gains wealth. But what is his hope, though he has gained, when God takes away his soul? Will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon, upon God? You see, this man had a false hope. 
he apparently thought he was all right with the Lord because he, one time he made a profession of faith, but he has ceased calling on the Lord. He no longer delighted himself in the Lord. And it seems that he gained while he was in this world, but he lost his soul. And in the Matthew 25 passage, his calling upon the Lord will be too late. That's the going out of the lamps of the foolish. Now let's look at the desperate request, verse 8. Desperate request, verse 8. The foolish said to the wise, give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Here's a desperate request. Give us of your oil. Now here is an unbeliever. (laughs) Here's a person who had a profession of faith. And they suddenly realize, perhaps at the point of death, I don't really have anything. And so maybe they call for the preacher to come, and they call for the priest to come and absolve them of all of their sins. I told you years ago about a man who was dying. He had ridiculed God and he was dying. But at one time he'd made a little profession of faith and he he had joined the church and he had been gotten on the roll and he had a little slip of paper there where he had written out his confession. And he said to his son while he was dying, son, go up in the attic, look over there in that, in that chest and open it up and bring that confession to me. That confession I made years ago, bring it to me and read it to me. And about five minutes his son came back and he said, did you get it? He said, no, sir. What happened to it? He said, the rats ate it. the rat If we don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got no more than something that the rats can eat. Now what this is, amazes me here is these foolish virgins are asking the wise virgins for some oil. There's coming a day when the unbeliever, when the skeptic, when the scoffer, when the hypocrite will seek the true believer to tell him how he may have some hope in facing eternity. Those who now hate the strictness of Christ will one day seek his mercy. He said, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. They said, no, we don't want your yoke. We don't learn about you or from you. We don't need you. The cry of this world is found in Psalm 2. Let's break his bands asunder and cast away his cords from us. We will not have this man to rule over us. Many do not want to live the life of the righteous, but like Balaam, they want to die the death of the righteous. Give us of your all. Speak a good word to us. Give us a word of comfort. But they were denied. It says in verse 9, they said, not so. Not so. No. The lamps of those who are under the false professions of faith actually go out this side of eternity, but they don't pay any attention to it until it's too late. And so they begged for oil from the wise. No man who has tasted the grace of God, listen, No man who has tasted the grace of God can save another who has not. 
You see, everybody's got to have oil in his own lamp. You can't save your children. You can't save them. The only thing that'll save your children is you tell them the gospel. You tell them Jesus died for sinners, and they're sinners, and they need him. That's the only person that can save them. They said, we don't have any oil to give you. We can't save you. He can't give the grace of God. I can't give the grace of God to another as though I'm making a loan. This is what it says in Psalm 49, verse 7. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the ransom of their life is precious, is costly, and it will never satisfy. It will never suffice. This practice of going to a man to obtain forgiveness of sins, the giving of money, praying to the saints to obtain salvation for another is damnable doctrine. Only Christ himself can forgive. There is no proxy forgiveness. You can't pray and somebody, God accepts you on behalf of somebody else. No. They have to have their own oil in their own lamps. Only Christ can forgive. No proxy forgiveness. Every man and every woman must give account of himself and herself. There's no borrowing oil from another. One of the old Puritans said, Those who have the most grace have none to spare. None to spare. We put the Lord Jesus off and we go on about our business and say, well, you know, the church will be there and the gospel will be there. There's going to come a day when it won't be here. It won't be here. Peter says it this way, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, well shall the ungodly and the sinner appear. And so their desperate request is denied. The answer of the virgins, verses 9 and 10. This is good advice for the present time, but it's too late when the bridegroom comes. Look at it now. It's on your board also, too. The foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil. Our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. Go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Now, that's good advice for you right now. Go now and hear the gospel. Learn about Christ now. Everyone that is thirsty, come to the waters. He that has no money, come and buy, eat, buy wine, buy wine, buy milk without money, without price. That's what I tell you now. Are you thirsty, my friend? The God of Joseph will receive you today, but don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Turn to him now. Tomorrow may be too late. It was too late for these foolish virgins. Because while they went out to buy... It says the bridegroom came. Watch it now. We're almost through. They went out to buy, verse 10, and the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Notice the unspeakable joy and the unspeakable horror of this moment. The unspeakable joy, they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. 
the unspeakable horror, the door was shut. Some were ready, some were not. Some will enter in, others will not be able to enter. When the bridegroom comes, the believer and the unbeliever will be forever separated. The Lord gave Noah's generation 120 years to repent and enter the ark. But when he shut the door, no one could get into that ark. Now listen, this is very important. Christ is the door. John chapter 10. But when he gets up off his throne and comes again, he will no longer be the door to heaven. He will be the door that keeps men out of heaven. And then they will call, Lord, Lord, open to us. And we're going to see that in just a moment. We're going to close out here. Notice what they did. They called. Verse 11. Verse 11. Lord, Lord, open unto us. Number one, they called. They wouldn't call before, but they're calling now. You go back and get your Bible and read Proverbs chapter 1, and there you will find that the wisdom of God is personified as a man. That's Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. And he says in Proverbs chapter 1, Come, I'm calling you, I'm calling you, I'm calling you. They said no. Then when they got in trouble, they called and he said no. Then they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. For they would not have anything to do with me and my word. And now it is too late. They called. Number two, they acknowledge him. They call. you see this word, Lord, Lord, that's the word kurios. It's always associated with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Kurios. Lord, you're the master. You're the one that can do something. And then I noticed this. I, I looked this up, and this is what they call the aorist active imperative sense. They kept on calling. It's active. They kept calling. Even though they knew there was no hope, they kept calling. What will a man do who falls off of a boat in the ocean? Hey, anybody up there? I doubt it. You'll be screaming and crying with all of your mouth. You'll be shouting, somebody up there, help me. Somebody, I've fallen off the boat. You'll keep on crying and you'll keep on calling until you drown. And that's what they did here. What was his answer? Verse 12. To those who called for him to open the door once it was shut. I know you not. I know you not. I sent out invitations to the wedding. And I didn't invite you. Because you're not ready to enter in. They're going to be like Esau. Who for one morsel of bread sold his birthright. The scripture says... He found no place of repentance. He tried to change it. He tried to get, take it back. He sought it carefully with tears. He found no way back, no way to reverse it, no way to turn it around. Listen, the, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, writing to Christians. He said, don't be like Esau. Don't be a fornicator or a profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. You know that afterward, when he would have inherited the birthright blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. 
Hebrews 12, 16 and 17. My friends, listen, come to Christ and come to Christ today. If you have fallen away from Christ, if you've gone cold from Christ, then you come back. You come back now. You come back today. You know not what a day may bring forth. Come to Christ and come today. Those of you who've made professions of faith, don't let anything or anyone talk you out of or turn you away from walking with Christ all the days of your life. You put off other people. Don't, don't put him off. Well, my friends are here this week, and I just won't be there, Brother Sasso. Well, you tell your friends, I'm going to worship the Lord. I won't be gone but two hours. You can be here when I get back. I mean that. I believe that you need to stand for Christ. I do not believe that you need to put him off for everything else that we want to do. That's the reason this building is not full this morning. It's because people have too much to do. We've got to keep everybody happy. But what about the Lord? What about him who died for you? Don't let anything or anyone turn you away from walking with Christ all the days of your life. The Lord closes this talk on his kingdom with a warning. Verse 13, a warning. Watch therefore, you know, neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Like Joseph, I want to encourage you to be patient. Keep trusting in the Lord. The secret is living by faith. Listen to this, and I'll close out. Hebrews 10, 35 through 39, Cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. You have need of patience. Patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. We are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them who believe to the saving of the soul. He says, watch. The Lord Jesus says, watch right here. Watch. Attend to the business of your soul. Wake up. Watch. Be alert. Give strict attention to. Take heed. And those who enter by faith, and only those who enter by faith now, will enter by invitation then. We must enter the door of heaven now if we hope to enter it later. Those who were not prepared were rejected. We must seek the Lord while he may be found. Now you can say, Lord, open to us. And what does he say? Knock and it shall be opened. Seek and you'll find. Ask and it'll be given. That's now. But when the bridegroom comes, it'll be too late. Why watch? Why should we watch? Because you know not the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. Joseph was patient. He was watchful. He was diligent. He was ready when his promotion came. Are we ready? Are we looking? Are we waking? Waiting? Are we awake? I pray God we are. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word. Now let's stand together. Our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners. I am a sinner and I need him. In fact, I have more need of him now than I did when I was saved. Do you have a need for Christ? 
than where you are, you call on him in your heart, Lord, teach me about yourself. Teach me. I'm going to sit under your word. I'm going to get in your word. I want to find out who you are. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. Don't neglect him. Don't find other things that you have to do. You be desperate about your soul because nothing can replace it. If we gain the whole world and we lose our own souls, what have we gained? We've lost everything. I pray the Lord will help us to hear this. Let's pray and then we'll sing our song. Our Father, I ask your blessings upon your word. I pray that you will awaken this generation who's slumbering and sleeping. Jesus is all right, they say. He's all right, as long as he doesn't interfere with our lives. Oh, Father, awaken this generation of slumbers and sleepers. Send your Holy Spirit that men might once again seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous forsake his sins. and Call upon the Lord that they might be saved. Add your blessings, I pray, Father, upon your word. In Jesus' name I ask it. For his sake I pray. Amen. All right, let's sing our little song. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Bless you as you seek to serve him through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray for his sake we ask it. Amen.